Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting, trading, scouting, and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Episode number 104 today. And this is the joyful, joyful first week of the NFL. Football's back. And given the circumstances of 2020, it was even more special to watch the NFL games this weekend and watch our Dynasty teams as they get the season underway. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I had a mediocre week, personally, finishing just 4-4 and in my eight leagues. But win or lose, win or lose, really, it's a joy to watch football over the weekend and cheer on my teams. So what we're going to do on this podcast, and this will be kind of the way that we go forward every single week now, is we are going to just do week uh, one observations, where every week I'll give you kind of top five observations that I have for the week. Then we'll talk about some injuries and what we think those mean. I'm going to give you some waiver wire tips of guys in deep leagues that you could maybe be aiming to pick up tomorrow or whenever your waivers process. And then finally, I'll discuss trades. That is when there are trades in my league. And so the leagues that I'm a part of with very active Dynasty owners, I'll talk about the trades so you can get a a better feel on how active Dynasty owners are valuing these players. So that's what we have in store for today. So let's jump right in. Week number one observations. First is that I'll say quarterbacks are cooking. This offseason, there was a lot of chatter, of course, if, if Seattle was going to, quote, let Russ cook. Well, they sure did in week one. Uh, But he's not the only quarterback that was thought to be in a run-heavy offense that would cook on Sunday, so to speak. Uh, Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers were also cooking. Wilson and Rodgers scored 42 fantasy points by throwing four touchdowns and more than 300 yards. And then Josh Allen had his first 300-yard game of his career. And combined with one rushing touchdown and two passing touchdowns, led to a score of 35 fantasy points. One week, of course, can't be called a trend, but, but one would hope that these coaches can see what happens when they let these quarterbacks be unleashed when they're free from the conservative run-first approaches. Hopefully they're going to let these studs cook. Second observation, I'll call murky backfields. A few backfields were murkier than expected, causing dynasty owners to reconsider the value of these players. Cleveland was pretty quickly pushed into a pass-heavy game script. Even so, Chubb owners were alarmed to see uh, Hunt get three more carries and have five more targets than Chubb and 15 more yards from scrimmage. Seattle was pretty far ahead of Atlanta by the middle of the third quarter, but it was still surprising to see Carlos Hyde had one more carry than Carson. Also, Hyde had a touchdown on the ground while Carson had two through the air. Most expected, uh, next team most expected a split backfield in Buffalo. And that's exactly what they did. Singletary and Moss each had nine carries. Singletary had two more catches, but Moss had uh, the touchdown catch. And probably most surprising these backs in the split was in New Orleans, where Murray outcarried Kamara 15-12, to 12, and he actually ran far better than Kamara if you were watching the game. Yards proved it too. He had 48 yards compared to 16 yards for Kamara. Kamara did catch five passes and compared compared to Murray zero, so that saved him. And he did score both of the touchdowns, one on the ground and one on the air, both in the red zone, both pretty much goal line carries and catches. Still, if it were not for those goal line touches that turned to touchdowns, Murray would have had a better day. Really frustrating to see uh, these backfields be split up like this. And finally, we got the Rams. They said it would be a three-person committee, but really it was just a two-person committee. Split time pretty evenly between Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers. 
But the 2015 undrafted free agent, Malcolm Brown, Hokum, University of Texas, looked significantly better than the 2020 second-round pick in Acres. These backfields, of course, all of these that I'm mentioning could be a headache for Dynasty owners at the start of the year. Hopefully this is not a long-term plan for these coaches. If so, all these players' Dynasty values are going to have to drop just a little bit. Third observation I have is early target distribution. I'll call it early target distribution. It's only week one, but some teams' target distribution was quite surprising, whether it was wide or narrow. In the past uh, week or two, I've been shopping my shares of DeAndre Hopkins. I wouldn't give him away, of course, but I was willing to move him based on fears of him never having as much target share as he did in Houston. However, when he was peppered with 16 targets and caught 14 passes for 151 yards in week one, I was certainly surprised. If he gets this kind of workload in Arizona, Arizona, I'll be very glad that I didn't find a buyer before the season started. I still have my shares of Hopkins and two teams. The Jets were expected to have a very narrow target tree with Crowder and Herndon leading the team, and this expectation proved uh, to be true in week one. Crowder had 13 targets and caught seven for 150 yards in a touchdown. Herndon had seven targets, caught six for just a measly 37 yards. The rest of the team had 15 targets combined. So as expected, the so that's kind of what they did, narrowed the target field to those two. Packers, on the other hand, it says they expected, of course, most of the passes to be funneled to Devontae Adams, and he did. <laughs> 17 targets, and he turned them into 14-catch, two-touchdown, 156-yard day. What was surprising, though, was that Marquez Valdez-Scantling was the second-most targeted receiver ahead of Lazard. Scantling had six recept- or six targets, Lazard had four, and everyone presumed that Rodgers, number two, was going to be Lazard. Other teams that distributed the ball, they actually did it pretty uh, evenly. Uh, three wide receivers in Atlanta, for instance, Jones, Ridley, and Gage, each had 12 targets. And then the Carolina trio, people were curious to see how that was going to come out this, this first week. DJ Moore had nine, Curtis Samuel, eight, Rodney, uh, uh, Robbie Anderson had nine. So pretty much an even split between those three. I expected Dallas to be a team that really shared it among their trio, but they did not. Cooper actually had 14 targets compared to six for Lamb and five for Gallup, so he doubled them up. So this is just important to keep an eye on because target count is one of the best predictors of fantasy points, so it's important to monitor which players are being targeted on their teams. I found that to be pretty surprising, some surprises and some non-surprises there in week number one. Fourth thing I'll mention uh, that I noticed from this first week was that rookie running backs do make a difference. In fact, all the top running backs that were played a lot, all the top rookie running backs played a lot this weekend. And even second-round rookie running backs, second-round running backs that we drafted in our rookie drafts, played a lot as well. Listen to all these guys and their touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, one. J.K. Dobbins, two. DeAndre Swift, one. But it should have been two with an awful drop pass he had. Zach Moss, one. And Joshua Kelly, one. They each scored touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor didn't score a touchdown, but he answers his critics uh, by catching six passes. Really, you could just say that it was just Keyshawn Vaughn and A.J. Dillon were the only top-tier rookie draft picks that didn't make an impact. It really proves the point again that running back is the easiest position to translate from college to the NFL. Even when there's no preseason games, it's easy to make that jump. Fifth and final observation is running backs get paid. Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, and Alvin Kamara, man, they all signed their second contract days before the season started. Each of them threatened to, quote, hold out or hold in for the offseason, and they and their general managers finally came to their senses and found a reasonable deal. It really seemed like the odds of these stud running backs signing a second deal with their teams were going to become a thing of the past. 
uh, but teams and running backs have settled on a workable price, it seems like, for these second-year contracts, somewhere in the neighborhood between 12 and $15 million a year. This news is a really positive sign, uh, and it's uh, for particularly for the great you know, new rookie com- running backs that are under the rookie contracts right now, and for the upcoming class of great running backs that are entering the NFL. It's really excellent news for dynasty owners, too, who really want to have, now have hope that they can draft a guy and hold on to him on the same team for maybe 8 to 10 years. Maybe it's going to be possible and the fears of running backs never getting a second contract is false. Now let's talk about some injuries. There weren't many uh, this this week, so that's good news. Speculation was that there's going to be a lot just because they hadn't been at preseason games or practicing as hard as normal. But here's the injuries. Um, just as a reminder, I actually make these podcasts just before the Monday night games, and so these you know won't include things that happen on Monday night as far as the injuries go. First up is Miles Sanders. Uh, Sanders was an early scratch, not even taking the team plane to Washington. All the positive reports came to a crashing end on Sunday when it was announced that Sanders was out and ticked me off because he's one of my most owned players. I wonder if there was a little bit of arrogance on behalf of the Eagles, honestly. I think maybe they thought that they could go into Washington and win without Sanders. Um, while the whole offense was stymied, really just crushed in the second half by Washington's dominant defensive line, Boston Scott and Corey Clement showed that they're just not near Sanders' talent. The Eagles' injuries at the offensive line position this offseason could actually prove to be more costly than I thought. Uh, After the loss, Philadelphia should be plenty motivated to get Sanders and their lineman Lane Johnson back in their lineups. Hard part, though, is the hamstrings are pretty tricky, so this really could be a season-long problem for Sanders. In fact, almost all of these injuries I'm going to talk about today are hamstrings, which give me a little concern because these can linger for a while. While Sanders' dynasty value remains firm, Uh, His fantasy value for this year has taken, I think, a significant hit. Uh, His fantasy value this year is not going to be very good. Boston Scott is, you know, worthy of a flex play while Sanders is injured, but he's not a top 12 back like Sanders can be when he plays and is healthy. Next injury was Kenny Galladay. Galladay was supposed to be a a surprise scratch this week after injuring his hamstring in the middle of last week just before game one. Primary beneficiary uh, was uh, Quintus Cephas, he was the most targeted wide receiver uh, for Detroit with 10 targets, though he only caught three of them for 43 yards. It was really Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, and TJ Hawkinson. They did a lot more with their targets than Cephas did, even though he was the number one targeted guy. But as long as Galladay's out, I'd expect Jones and Hawkinson to really outscore Cephas. But it is really good to see that they had confidence in the rookie Cephas and put him out there. Cephas's dynasty value is rising a little bit just because of the confidence that they put in him. He's going to get his reps. Maybe he'll get to play more even when Galladay comes back. Next injury, sad one for me, it's Cowboy fan Blake Jarwin. Jarwin suffered what appears to be a torn ACL on Sunday night, which is hard to see It's you know since he was really po- poised and supposed to be his breakout year this year. If, we, if I was in a league that had no IR spots and, and had pretty good depth at tight end, I think I'd be willing to drop him. I've got some leagues where I'm going to drop him for sure. There are other tight end worthy, uh, you know, tight end worthy players on the waiver wire, which I'll talk about here in a minute. Dalton Schultz was the next tight end up Sunday night, but he didn't do much, and I wouldn't expect Schultz to combine, uh, to you know, contribute much this year as a result of Jarwin's injury. I think the primary beneficiaries will be Ceedee Lamb, uh, because now Dallas will rely on the three wide receiver sets and distribute the ball pretty exclusively to their star wide receivers and Zeke and probably Pollard occasionally. 
Next sad industry uh, in, injury rather was Marlon Mack. Uh, unless you're a Jonathan Taylor owner, you might be happy about this news, so we never want to see you guys get injured. Uh, Mack tore his Achilles on Sunday, and he's going to be lost for the season. Unfortunately for Mack, he's in a contract year, which means he'll not be on the top of mind for other teams next year since he won't be playing this year. They won't get to see him play. So Mack's dynasty value has to fall pretty significantly given the injury and given his pending uh, free agency after this year. Maybe the odds are now that he's actually just going to stay signed in Indianapolis, given that they know him well. Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines stand the most to benefit, obviously. Taylor is already poised to take over the lead running back role for the Colts, but now it's inevitable. The dynasty value was already near the top, in my opinion, so he's not moving up at all. He's just going to get to prove it sooner, maybe, than Frank Reich thought, but not sooner than we thought. On the other hand, Hines should actually see his dynasty value rise significantly, especially after his eight-catch and two-touchdown Sunday. Uh, the prediction of Rivers that he would make Hines the new Eckler appear to be right after week one, at least. And so Hines is going to move up quite a bit um, in my rankings in his dynasty value. Devontae Parker was also injured. Another hamstring injury in the middle of the game Sunday, and he couldn't return. I think Mike Gasecki and Preston Williams should become the primary targets in Miami. Isaiah Ford and Jakeem Grant should fight it out for the third most targets while, while Parker is out, but I'm still not interested in picking up Ford or Grant off the waiver wire. Uh, Parker's injury does not move the needle on any Miami wide receiver as far as their dynasty value. It only makes Williams and Gasecki a little easier decision to put them in a starting lineup, depending on your depth. The whole offense looked pretty pitiful Sunday in Miami, so uh, Miami's offense looks pretty bad, but I think things are better from a dynasty perspective. Things are going to be good because someday they're going to be playing with Tua. And so everyone stays pat, even though Parker's injured. That's really just affects some values of players this year. Le'Veon Bell also got hurt. What do you know? Another hamstring. Uh, leading up to the start of the season, there was debate about whether Bell did or did not have a hamstring injury. <laughs> he and Coach Gaze argued about that through social media and through the media. Um, well, now there's no doubt he left the game on Sunday and didn't return. And then the rookie, Michael P. Ryan, who most would probably want to see step up, couldn't have his opportunity, can't prove himself because he's injured as well. Uh, come from the dead, Josh Adams came in and scored a touchdown on his two carries, but I'm not interested in Adams at all. I've seen enough of him to, to not really be not really desire to pick him up at all. That means while Bill's hurt, the very aged, the inconvenient truth, Frank Gore, he'll be the lead back in New York. If I had him on my roster, I'd consider him a flex play if Bell misses more times. But it doesn't move the needle on Gore's dynasty value, of course. He's just too old for that. Bell's injury, though, is just one more reason to have him fall more in my dynasty rankings. He's steadily fallen every year since he did his year-long holdout. And I sold my last share of Bell last year. Uh, couldn't be happier about that. So those are our injuries, primary injuries, players that we care about. Now let's talk about week one waiver wire. Not much out there, but I'll give you a few tips out there in case you are in deep leagues. So as a reminder, I do play in 27 to 30 man roster leagues, what I call true dynasty leagues. So the players that I list here are for deep leagues only. If you play in shallower, shallower leagues, there are certainly better players than these to pick up. But if you say, like I play in a true dynasty league, these are the type of players I think that you could look for, and I'll list them in the order that I would prioritize them. First would be Logan Thomas. Thomas was getting a lot of buzz nearing the end of training camp and was picked up in actually several of my leagues just before the season started. Smart owners did that. However, he's been a, he is available in many of my leagues, and when I looked at it today, uh, he'd be my number one waiver ride priority this week. 
he was the most targeted pass catcher in Washington on Sunday and caught a touchdown pass. So training camp reports of his rapport with, with Haskins really proved right on Sunday. It's hard for me to believe that this former college quarterback, if you didn't know that, he used to be a quarterback, hard for me to believe that he could become a top-tier tight end in the NFL, but he could be a great tight end to add for depth and start when the matchup is right or the situation warrants due to a bye week or injury. So Logan Thomas would be number one for me. Number two would be Scott Miller. Todd Brady, uh, Tom Brady, he appears to have his new Julian Edelman. If he's available, he is in almost all of my leagues. Uh, Miller caught five of six passes for 73 yards on Sunday. I'd probably only make a bid on, on, on Miller, honestly, if I was in a PPR league, full PPR league. Um, I don't think I would drop him for any high upside guy uh, to acquire him because he's never really going to become a number one target. And if I've got some young guys that I want to just wait on, I think I'd be happier waiting. But I would drop him for maybe like a wide receiver three on a team, um, not on a fantasy team, but meaning a wide receiver three on an NFL team. If I was carrying a guy, say like Danny Amendola, someone like that would be about the equivalent to Scotty Miller that I'd be willing to drop for him. Third uh, waiver wire that I mentioned is the Washington DST. Man, Washington's defensive line is a force to be reckoned with this year. I think that they're going to rack up sacks and force interceptions as they did in Philadelphia uh, with Philadelphia on Sunday. I'm really upset at myself, honestly, because I almost picked up Washington uh, last week right before the season started, but I decided to wait, and now I think I'm going to be fighting with other owners to try to pick them up off the waiver wire. Pretty frustrating. I wish I would have made this uh, move more preemptively. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded coach who definitely can coach up his star players and make this defense respectable. They should be a great streaming defense for this year and, and really years to come, given the young talent that they have on that team. Fourth and finally, when it comes to uh, waiver wire, I would say C.J. Uzoma. Uzoma was really an active part of the game plan on Sunday and was Joe Burrow's first read on many of his receptions. Uh, he often split out wide. He was really quick in his routes and was fast after he caught the ball. He caught four passes for 45 yards, so that's 11.3 yards per catch, which is really impressive, especially for a tight end. Uh, like Logan Thomas, he could be a good depth piece at tight end on a dynasty roster, but unlike Thomas... Um, I don't think he will lead the team in targets in a game like Thomas did in Washington. Cincinnati just has too many weapons, spreads the offense too much. I think that would prevent them from getting really the good, being anything more than a good depth piece to pick up this week if you're light at tight end. Finally, here on the podcast, as we'll do, we'll talk about trades that happened in my league. So some weeks, of course, there won't be trades, but this week there was some. So I can kind of grade these trades, try to give you an idea of what the owners were thinking about Every trade is really different because uh, you can't just grade a trade totally at you know the value of what you see on paper or here on, on a podcast. You got to know the owners. So my perspective, what I do on this podcast is I tell you what I think the owners were thinking because that makes a big difference because these are actual trades of people in my leagues that I can look at their rosters and understand what they were thinking. So here are my thoughts on four trades that went down in my league. First, we had Brian Edwards, Mark Andrews, and a 2022nd moved for Justin Herbert, Paris Campbell, in a 2021 first. So Edwards, Mark, uh, Brian Edwards, Mark Andrews, and a 2020 second-round pick for Justin Herbert, Paris Campbell, and a 2021 first-round pick. This trade took place in a Superflex tight end premium 14-team league. So the team that traded Herbert only had one starting NFL quarterback, so they were willing to give up a lot to get Herbert, who will likely become a starter at some point this year, I believe. I think he gave up too much, though even though he needed a quarterback. But that's what you have to do in a Superflex League when you only have one starter on your roster. 
Um, at least he was able to get a first round pick out of it. So I do like that part. I do like Herbert and I own him on several of my leagues because I believe he will be a franchise quarterback in the future in LA. Paris Campbell's intriguing, but I worry about uh, who his quarterback will be maybe after this year if Philip Rivers was to re- retire. The fact is on the other side of the trade, I really like it. Andrews is a top five tight end on a high scoring offense for years to come. Uh, he doesn't get as many catches, docking his value slightly in this tight end premium league. But he is a big red zone threat. Of course, scored twice this last week. So Edwards is an incredible upside in Vegas. And so he's already in the starting lineup as a rookie. That makes me like that side of the trade. Next trade was Kyler Murray and Mike Gusecki was traded for Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, and a 2021 second round pick. Now this trade took place in the same Superflex League, tight end premium, 14-team league. The team that traded Murray had four starting quarterbacks. So this gives you an idea. If you're in a Superflex League and you're hoarding quarterbacks that are starters, you can get a package for them. The team that traded for Murray only had one, one quarterback starting. So given that fact, I really like the package on this team that received, uh, that gave, gave away uh, Murray. Uh, Andrew is my number three ranked tight end already. And so, and so Dobbins is already my number 11 ranked running back. So both are on an offense in Baltimore that's young and should be among the most high-scoring teams in the years to come. Murray, of course, has a super high price in Superflex leagues. Uh, he was a first-round pick, and this is my most, most recent startup. So he was a first-round pick in the startup league. So this package is really what it takes to get him. It takes Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, and a 2020 second-round pick to get Murray in Gusecki. Still, if I had three quarterbacks on my roster and, and, and Murray was just my fourth, I would definitely make this trade. That's the reward of hoarding quarterbacks, and this owner worked it pretty well. The owner that traded Murray, however, does have Patrick Mahomes as his only other starting quarterback, so I, I can see why he would be willing to pay so much knowing that he can roll out Murray and Mahomes for the rest of his dynasty team, next decade for his dynasty team. Two more grades uh, to, on trades real quick. We had DK Metcalf was moved for Devin Singletary and Chris Herndon. So two for one, Metcalf for Singletary and Herndon. This trade took place on my 12-team PPR league. Um, I really like the Metcalf Metcalf side of this trade, even though it's two for one. Metcalf's upside is just too immense in Seattle with Russell Wilson uh, down the road. So where Singletary is already in competition for the RB1 role in Buffalo, a team that traded Singletary for Herndon was weak at tight end, so they needed Herndon. Maybe kind of bought into some of the pre-post, you know, off-season hype with Herndon. But I just think the gamble for Herndon is too much for what I see as a real sure thing in DK Metcalf. Finally, last trade was Devontae Freeman. This was an interesting one. Devontae Freeman and Brandon Cooks for a 2021 first-round pick. So you got to know the context for this one. This trade took place in a 12-team half PPR league. Uh, this one's close, but I really like the Cook side and Freeman side, given what it Cooks and Freeman versus the 2021st, given what I know of these teams. That's really what makes the difference here. Um, this trade was in, in this, this is the context for this trade is that one team is in complete rebuild mode while the other's in win now mode. The team that received the 2021st round pick now has five first round picks, so they're just going after first round picks, which is not a bad strategy given their roster. But the team that acquired Cooks uh, really fears that the 2020 rookie draft. 2021 rookie draft will be far less certain this year, given the number of college teams not playing. And so I can see his side of the argument too. Uh, Plus, his first round pick should really be somewhere between picks eight and 12, because he is a very formidable team that should finish, you know, and make the playoffs and finish well. So 
I think I'd barely sat on the Cooks side of that, but you also know if you've been following me that I love Cooks more than most any analyst out there, so I might be biased. Anyway, there you have it. Super fun to wrap up week number one and to share this with you. I hope it gets into your hands and your ears in time for you to make some waiver wire moves and think about making some trades yourself based on what I've told you about my value of these players after week one. That's a wrap for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. I'm much better on email than I'm on Twitter, so hit me up that way. I'd be honored if you'd take time to rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.